Hey guys, it's been a while. Welcome back to The Review. I'm Brendan Hodges. It is a Thursday morning. I was trying to record this last night and I was like, I didn't have the most solid idea of how to do this. But when I woke up this morning, I was like, okay, I slept on it. Let's do this. Flying solo today on The Review. This is episode five. It's been quite a bit since we've recorded one of these. Going to be really short too. And here's the reason why. We have missed so much time, part of it because of the new year, there's college basketball hasn't really caught the attention of everybody yet. There's a spell in the season where, like the first week or so, you have those big name brands going up against each other over and over and over again, whether it's the Champions Classic, Jimmy V, Maui, all these various Thanksgiving tournaments. Now we're past the new year. Now conference play has started. And now college basketball garners a bit more attention because the NBA regular season is still going on when college basketball is racing toward its postseason. The NFL postseason, just about to start, it'll be done in, as of today, less than, well, a little more than over two months. That's when college basketball really takes over. And so as we have transitioned into this new year, 2022, With everything going on, today is strictly a starting five day. Quick hitting, top five stories going into the new year from me. It's going to be different with all the guys on the staff, let me tell you. It's going to be very different for all the guys on the staff, depending on their own biases and focuses within our site. But these are my top five stories heading into the new year. Let's transition to number five. Number five is, and I'm pulling up this message from our boy Matt Waldman, big Southern Conference guy, coming to us last night. And our Twitter shadow today coming from Matt, Lor- no, excuse me, Matt Norlander at Matt Norlander, breaking the Missouri Valley's presidents have approved Murray State to become the conference's next member. Sources tell CBS Sports they joined Belmont and leaving the OVC, a 12th school is expected eventually, sources say. Matt Waldman saying, isn't Kansas City rumored to be the 12th team RIP to the OVC? And we've talked about this before. Conference realignment happens. I use the analogy of Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC. And while that's more of a football move than anything, because SEC football just is high and above every other conference in football, it also affects basketball in the way where Those two programs who bring in all the revenue for most of the others from a football perspective, maybe not a basketball perspective, leave, it affects all these other schools. Now, granted, all those schools are high-tier, power five, power six, division one programs. They bring in a lot of cash. With teams like and conferences like the OVC, the Missouri Valley, the SOCON, They obviously don't bring in as much cash as those bigger name schools unless they go in and play them. What they have to deal with now is finding teams coming from Division II, Division III, teams that are transitioning to however get into their conference, lower tier conferences. Does it lessen the quality of play in those conferences? I can't say for sure, but it shows that other teams are moving, trying to move up in the world to have a better chance to make the tournament. And will that affect 
their performance in the long run and the performance of these smaller conferences, how we feel about them. I'm worried about that because college basketball is some of the best parody of any college sport. Sure, you'll have the big dogs still at the end of the days, right? You'll have your Kentuckys, your Dukes. They'll make it far in the tournament. But part of the nostalgia and part of the draw to college basketball is these smaller tier teams finding a way into the tournament and finding a way to beat larger teams. Because once you get there, any given day, any team can beat any other team. That's number five. Number four. Not every game is an instant classic. And I will explain this. I work in Syracuse. I work at a news station in Syracuse. This was a while ago. Sixth game of the season. They're playing undefeated Indiana, who's not even ranked because they're 6-0. and It's the very start of the season. They go to two overtimes in the Carrier Dome and beat them. And the script that night that was written by the sports guy said instant classic in the Dome. We got to stop using that term overarchingly. Instant classic is not SU beating Indiana at home in a regular season game that I don't think anybody's going to care about at the end of the season. Instant classic is SU beating UConn in a Big East quarterfinal after six overtimes. That's an instant classic. There's so many of these games that get said, oh, it's an instant classic. Oh, it's an instant classic. It's like saying that... I don't know, like um, Carson Edwards is a college basketball legend. Really good, really good score, but a college basketball legend is Christian Leitner. Carson Edwards does not, and no offense to Carson Edwards, he's a great player. He does not live up to the legendary status that, say, a Christian Leitner has, whereas SU basketball beating Indiana in the Dome in a regular season game doesn't hold the weight of an instant classic as SU beating a Georgetown or a UConn in a big East tournament, like a decade ago in six overtimes or however many overtimes that SU had to play at Georgetown and whatever big East tournament. I don't know that off the top of my head, but number four story, stop using instant classic to denote a certain game because more often than not, it's not an instant classic. Let's go to number three. Number three. Now, women's basketball doesn't get talked a lot on our podcast. I like talking about it in passing because it's growing interest, as is the WNBA, let me be honest with you, because there are so many stars in women's basketball as well and so much impact from those stars on the casual fan or even the diehard fans. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now, but in the WNBA, a player – was reached out to by a fan who was suffering from depression, I believe, and she helped him through it and now invited him to see her play live, which is a fantastic story. You have the Sabrina Ionescu's, who really single-handedly transformed the sport and transformed how people feel about it. You have icons like Pat Summit, Diana Taurasi, everybody who went to UConn and Tennessee during those years, right? And we have two more of those stars now, maybe even more. But the two that really stick out, one of which isn't even playing right now, is Paige Beckers. The other one, Caitlin Clark at Iowa. And you would think that with Beckers being out, the sport would suffer. And it hasn't because it's so damn interesting, right? Like there's so, the, the number of competent teams that could win a championship has increased exponentially. 
since it was just eh, probably UConn going to win it. But we, we all remember that. That wasn't that long ago. But now you have South Carolina, Arizona. You have UConn, obviously, still going to be a threat when Beckers comes back. And even maybe if for some reason she doesn't. Iowa, a threat with Caitlin Clark. So many good teams. And it's so exciting. We should pay more attention to it. And I am pushing. Well, I, I can't say I'm pushing because I have literally no power over this. I am hoping that when Beckers comes back and UConn and Iowa get into the tournament, that they meet really late in the tournament. Because I would be, I am, if I was a betting man, I would say that game outrates 10 to 20 NCAA tournament games because of the star power of Beckers and Caitlin Clark. They're fantastic. We should all be paying way more attention to them than we already are because they're the future of women's college basketball. They're the future of women's professional basketball. They're icons already at 19, 20 years old. And it's fantastic to watch. And I cannot wait until, again, hopefully, UConn and Iowa meet in the NCAA tournament because that would be an absolute, absolutely fantastic game. I can't remember if they played against each other last year in the tournament. If they played this year, it's going to be the best game of the tournament by far, in my opinion, at least. Let's go to number two. Number two. Okay, so I have the rankings up in front of me right now on the men's side. The top, honestly, you know what? I'm going to say this. With the way that number one teams have been losing or have lost over the past month or so, um, are we really sure that there is a consensus number one team? I get it. Baylor's undefeated, 13-0. Congrats to them, defending national champions, looking to be on their way to another great tournament run. But Duke's pretty good. Purdue's pretty good. Gonzaga's pretty good. UCLA is five. And they, granted, they've only played nine games. Kansas, USC, Arizona, Auburn, they're all up there. Michigan State after a slow start up there as well. Um are we sure that we know everything about these teams? And what are we going to find out over the next, over the course of the next three months until the tournament ends? What are we going to find out about them, their players, their coaches, how they fare against each other? What maybe no name teams, maybe a Colorado state who's in the rankings this week. Uh, um, there aren't really many others besides them that stick out in terms of, like second tier teams that are kind of stepping up to be in that conversation, you know, it, what will we learn about those teams going into the postseason, going into their conference season and beyond how many of them will still be around? I mean, Kentucky, Tennessee are back to back in the rankings this week. It's like, I don't even know. Right. Do we ever really know who's good versus great in college basketball? That's number two. Now to number one, Number one, it's the story that is taking over yet again. And I'm flashing back to spring 2020 when I'm sitting in college in Minnesota and watching the Big East tournament get stopped because of COVID for the first time. And the surge that's happening nationwide now, although this new variant is mild and it doesn't necessarily cause an emphatic amount of symptoms that are too terribly bad, especially for healthy individuals. I can't help but wonder if somehow, some way, we're going to be back where we were two years ago. 
I don't want it to happen. I don't think it will happen, but it's a possibility. And it's something that we'll be paying attention to as teams are forced to postpone games because of COVID outbreaks and schedule them and either reschedule them or have them as no contests. How will that affect the records of certain teams? Maybe nobody has an absurd number of losses and the committee has to decide, okay, well, who would have won this game that wasn't played in order to get into the tournament? What happens if a conference tournament at the end of the season is shut down due to COVID? Even like last year. When Duke looked poised to kind of maybe push their way into the tournament by beating a couple ACC teams and winning it and getting the automatic bid from the ACC, it was like they got stopped because of COVID. And it ruined the chances of not just them, but another team to make the tournament as well. I believe it was Louisville. It, it's beyond me. I get that. It is a worldly issue versus a personal issue. But it's an issue nonetheless. And I don't want to see a team like, like Baylor, for instance. Last year, they had that COVID outbreak, and they lost a game where we were like, uh-oh, are they really the best team in the nation? Now, they ended up winning the national championship. But you don't want to see a top team like that have to be put on pause or miss a tournament outright because of a COVID outbreak. Because with the way it's scheduled out and how venues work, you can't just postpone a tournament game and play it another day. You have to play it that day or the team who has the outbreak has to go. And I don't want to see that. And those are our top five stories heading into the new year. My top five stories heading into the new year. Appreciate you joining me for this brief edition of the review. We'll be back on a relatively week-to-week basis uh, soon. Now that the season's ra- ramping up, not wrapping up, but you'll have me. I'm sure Matt Bajinski will stop by. I'm sure plenty of other guys will stop by as well. But if you want more content from CBB Review, you can A, go to the website, cbbreview.com. We do three takeaways from some of the bigger games that happen over the course of the week. Among other things as well, you can check out Matt's Madness. I was hosting that a couple of weeks ago. It was fun. Um, Matt, very bad at debating, but it works. You know, he's a great guy to debate against. And they, we ask a lot of very interesting questions when it comes to the college basketball season and what we think is going to happen with it. You can also check out more episodes of this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. We love doing them. We're going to keep doing them. That's what we do. Or really just hit us up on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at CBB Review. We love your comments. We, we put a, push a lot of stuff out on social media, and some of you guys have been very responsive, saying, this is great, I love it, could you push this out as well? And we're doing our best to answer those comments. So please keep commenting on social media, keep coming back to The Review, Matt's Madness, cbreview.com. Until next time, though, I'm Brendan Hodges. This has been The Review. We're signing off. Take care.